Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello, and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting-edge strategies on acquiring leads and sales to acquire more customers for your business through traffic. Kasim Aslam, today is a very, very good day because we have one of the world's subject matter experts, expert in-house on Google Ads, your buddy, your Google Ads mentor, the one who you go to for all things Google and probably like some life lessons thrown in there as well, John Moran. Pretty excited to have him on the show here today. Yeah, he's all right. He's all right. <laughs> I was going to say that one, that one, I can feel that one sting you, Costa. I don't the, want him on the show too much. Yeah. I like to show exactly how brilliant he is. But no, he's packing heat today, which we talked about pre-recorded. That's every day, That's every day. Oh, okay. Maybe we'll just like have some gunshots in the background while we're actually talking <laughs> Google Ads. But <laughs> that's Bob. Absolutely. Especially with that new elephant gun you were looking at. <laughs> but yeah, everyone here knows who you are. You're obviously one of the founders of Solutions 8 and have a pretty good following, I would say, about Google Ads just in general. Definitely check out the Solutions 8 YouTube channel for everything that John's done. And we'll leave some links in the show notes to past episodes. But care to drop a Google Ads or an advertising nugget prior to getting into the ways in which most people are wasting their PPC ad spend, which is the subject of today's show. But do you have a nugget for the PT listener? Yeah, I would actually highly recommend using a specific tool in the back end of Shopify called By the Numbers, B-Y the Numbers. It's an app that actually does a lot of your struggles to get your main KPIs in order for new customers, your lifetime values, your purchase frequency, your average order values, all of that stuff. It's a really, really cool app. It's free for like the first seven days and it's like $12 a month after that. But I would highly, highly, highly recommend it because you can actually develop a whole CAC, MER, and LTV target off of that one app that usually takes a CMO about a month to produce. A nugget, if you haven't checked it out, check out the Buy the Numbers app. It's kind of a staple in a lot of our clients so that we can make sure that we are hitting our KPI targets omni-channel, not just in Google, but across all channels because of the overlap rate between Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube, etc. I would absolutely check out the Buy the Numbers app. It is going to save you hours a week to make sure that you have all of your metrics in line and that your new customers are growing and repeating, which is what's most important. So it's an app on Android, iPhone, you name it. But like you say, it really focuses in on customer acquisition cost and new customers specifically. Like what? Yes, yeah, so it's an app for Shopify. So for Shopify store owners out there, it's going to be an app that you can install right into the back end of your Shopify store. It'll tell you your average order value on your online store, the purchase frequency. So you'll have a person that will purchase uniquely you know, 
six, seven times per year, for example. And that will give you your average lifetime value for each customer, new or actually returning, because it's an amalgamation of both. And you're able to identify how many people purchase, how many times in a one, three, six months, you can set your CAC payback targets, your average order value across all platforms, your new customers versus returning customers, both in amount and revenue, the new customer returning rate. So if they are a new customer or in the last three months, have they returned that at what percent and is it increase or decrease? And then actually gives you almost unlimited segments that you can actually export and use as custom targets on both Facebook and Instagram and Google and YouTube, where you can actually take the They call them like preferred customers. And those are customers that purchased over six times. And they have an average order value. They have a lifetime value. And you can extract those users by clicking export. And then you can use it on YouTube and say, hey, thanks for being a value customer. Here's 10% off a auto subscribe, whatever it is. Or you have the person that purchased one time in the last six months and has not purchased again. You export that customer and you use a different marketing message to them. So it gives you all of your CAC targets and your LTV targets, plus the ability to export those specific type of users to use across all platforms and common delivered to CSV files that then you can use to customize your messaging rather than setting up tags and uploading customer lists. It does it all for wow. you. Dude, they should just call this app CMO Jeez. Math because it breaks down all the CMO Math that you'd need. And it's not cost prohibitive. I'm looking at their page, $50 a month for the premium. And that's with everything. The basic is actually 13 Yeah. It's really, really, really inexpensive. And what's nice about it, and I know that I'll just do a quick like two-second screen share here. But what this does is you'll see that year to date, so January 1st through May 23rd, this is a client that we started with in March. So I'm kind of looking at the first three months and then the two months after we started compared to last year. And we see obviously sales are up really well here. You can see on the screen, but I'll share with you the CAC targets. Well, just to read this out real quick for anybody who's listening, they're at almost $16 million total sales, which is an 81% increase. Is that a year over year increase, John? Yeah, it's year to date compared to last year's year to date on the website. Okay. And then this is what's important is this company had an agency that was specifically selling masks, face masks. And when the face masks were then no longer needed, the company started to tank. But the problem was because they were existing customers and new customers on not core products, their return customer rate was poor because people were loyal to the mass. They weren't loyal to the core products of this company. And so when we took over, we hit standard shopping fairly hard. We reduced PMAX. We hit broad match search and the internal person hit Facebook Advantage Plus shopping so that with overlap rate would be more from Google to Facebook rather than Google to Facebook and back to Google. Like there wasn't two automated targetings going after the same person. So with very little increase in ad spend, the first-time customers are up 84%, so it's 267,000 first-time customers. And then the most important part is the return customer rate is at 24%, which is 38% over last year because they were buying a single product because no one had them in stock. So then to look at our CAC targets, for example, we see that on January through May, so first five months, you have a $45 average order value and a 1.12 purchase frequency. So what that means is if you're running, let's say, 50% profit margins just off the top of your head, this calculator takes a second to load. There we go. So $45.14 multiplied by 1.12 purchase frequency, it's a 50.55, so $50.55. That's your essentially LTV for a new and even existing customer who makes another purchase. That's total in both. And they don't really change much year over year. Plus minus 5% is great. It's very static. Well, you divide that by two and your CAC target is try not to get a new customer for anything over 25 and you're good on omni-channel. So that's a total that you're able to spend. That's what we used as those CAC targets to identify where we needed to be holistically across the board because Facebook's going to have low ROAS, Google Brands going to have extremely high ROAS, but together that's what your global CAC needs to be at scale under that.
does it separate out or attribution by platform? Or this is the global view, really, was what we were just looking at there. We'll leave links to the YouTube video here as well in the show notes. Yeah, I'll actually show you this here. We use a couple different tools for that. So the attribution, you'll see, we just had a Mother's Day sale, so we're pulling back right now. But right now, we're at a $31 CAC. We're 23% higher globally. Normally, we're at about a 25. Let's do like the first like 10 days here. But we use a couple different tools. It's about $31. They have about a 70% profit margin, so we're okay here. But on a 1.88 MER, which is not high, everyone thinks you absolutely need to have a 5X, a 4X, not necessarily. By setting your CAC target, according to your obviously your repeat rate, we're looking at only our website traffic. This company also sells in every Sephora and in every Ulta. They're a fairly large company. So as long as we're CAC targets are around 25 and 30, we use this omnichannel to say, well, a 59 on Facebook and a 34 on Google and a 124 on YouTube and a $153 CAC on TikTok and all of these combined with what we just can't identify in organic email and attributed will produce around a 2.28 media efficiency ratio. And if we look even back from March till yesterday for the last two and a half, three months, whatever it is, we've always stayed around that $29 mark. And then we use this tool here called Lifetimely. Great tool, by the way. Lifetimely will identify if that's actually coming to fruition in a net profit. So we can see that the last 30 days, for example, which inside of Nordbeam, if we go the last 30 days-ish, we have a $29 CAC. We need to be around $25, $30 to be profitable. And Lifetimely will then remove all of your COGS, even if your returns, your discounts, what Shopify is costing you. It's a net profit calculator that you have to plug in. And we've got this down to about five to $10,000 close to their actual bank account. And so we can see that last month we have $696,000 in net profit based off of that. So a 2.2 MER and a $29 CAC at scale, and that's a 700K a month net profit off of 4.3 million in sales with 1.8 million marketing costs and 1.4 million in COGS. And you'll actually see here that the blended CAC will be around $25 to $27, same thing that Nordbeam says. Our blended ROAS is about 2 to 2.5, same thing that Nordbeam says. And so by aligning those numbers, identifying your CAC targets, testing it omnichannel with Nordbeam, and then looking at lifetimely in the back end to make sure that it's actually in the bank account is how you identify what your metrics should be, not just kind of arbitrarily thinking you should get a 4X in Google because you saw a podcast once. John just nailed something that's embarrassingly worth looking at. I've seen a number of times where marketing teams aren't looking at what actually lends in the account. John, I'm thinking specifically of the religious membership group that we used to run. So there was a membership community where all we were looking at, all we were given, I should say, with the marketing team was what was being reported in Entreport. And Entreport was their CRM and, and showed all these conversions. And we thought we were just crushing life. And then the gentleman that owns the business came and said, well, none of that's in my account. And when we went in, we realized that there was some weird over-report, over-subscribe, over-whatever. But since that experience, I've seen it multiple times where the CMO is not talking to the CFO. And what you think is happening from a CRM perspective, even from an app perspective, if Shopify is reporting on, go reconcile against good old bank account because the Shopify numbers don't spend. They don't spend until they get into the bank. That should be a standard operating procedure on a monthly basis. Marketing sits down with finance and says, hey, do these match? And if not, where's the breakage? Another really interesting point is very often returns aren't being tracked in your CRM CMS. So if you're selling things out the wazoo, but you have a really high return rate, that's not necessarily making its way back into whatever mechanism is tracking all the sales. 
And those returns very often have common denominators too. And you can kind of narrow down on those by figuring out like, oh, it's this campaign, it's this type of customer, it's this keyword. So just make sure for our CMO's director of marketing, go connect with the finance team once a month. I mean, it doesn't need to be, it's an hour long where I sit down with my spreadsheet, you sit down with your spreadsheet, and we make sure that these numbers all match. Well, what's nice too is that Lifetimely app, you can see here, they actually do total sales, the revenue, even if they're shipping revenue, discount codes, and then refunds. Like there was $4,000 on refunds on the 25th. So also your taxes and your net sales, the products sold, the shipping transactions, fulfillment, COGS, marketing costs, operating expenses of Shopify, and then your KPIs of gross margin. It does everything for you. After you plug in, of course, like you know your your rates and stuff like that, but it will it will do everything for you so that you're not looking at it, well forex and Google, yeah, but I'm losing money, and then you got marketing fighting the owner. Now every Monday I sit down with the CMO and the person that runs our Facebook. I'm like, what are you doing on Facebook? What are we doing in Google? Where can you push? Where can I pull? Are you seeing specific products that are pulling back? I will too. So we align to make sure that our combined marketing efforts result in a better net profit rather than just fighting after like, is Google better than Facebook? And then the owner's like, well, I'm losing money. You guys figure it out. Yes, <laughs> it gets a whole right. mess. Right. Yeah, I love it when people decide we're going to run agencies against each other. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's very productive. We're all in this rowboat together. You're rowing <laughs> right. on the right, I'm rowing on the left. And while we're rowing, let's also fight. Yeah. <laughs> let's have a death match. The owner's in the middle of the boat spinning around puking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it's like, do we have enough gas in the gas tank? That's what he's wondering. <laughs> this is really three nuggets in one, if we really look at there's this. There's so many nuggets. You no, know, there's a lot of nuggets in here. Between Lifetimely, which is sort of an add-in nugget, but at the very least, Lifetimely, if you're not a Shopify store owner, I think the Buy the Numbers app is like an absolute necessity if you are a Shopify store owner. But secondarily, it's like pulling the numbers together with all the things. These are the things we're talking about all the time. And you typically have to do this through, oh, QuickBooks, and it's not in real time. And and then you combine that with Northbeam or some other third-party tracking tool that allows you to be able to figure out whether or not your numbers are accurate from what you're seeing. It's all these things together. This is the ultimate toolbox for a Shopify store, CMO, even a CEO to understand exactly what's going on in relatively real time from what it looks like from the Lifetimely app, which is amazing. This is why I don't like to have John on because he sets the bar. It's too <laughs> high. Like we can't it's let annoying, people think this it? is what they're going to get every episode. John. <laughs> well, one more nugget that's inside the Buy the Numbers app. Remember that segment that I was telling you We're about? We're looking here's, stupid for yet example, again, Custom. Sorry. Well, <laughs> it was your here's idea, the, uh, here's, wasn't it? No. I, no. Actually, I think it was my idea or Tom's idea. Anyway, keep going, John. <laughs> We're just going to keep going here. <laughs> Nuggets for everyone. So you'll see the loyalty group here, for example. This one's called Loyalty Customers. There's 19,000 customers that purchased on average 5.3 times. Their average order value is 43 bucks. Their average lifetime value is 476. Their average customer lifespan has been a year and a half and 528 days. And each customer is worth $228. And what's great is you can hit that view customers, export that as CSV. And now there's a marketing audience for something. You can take at-risk customers, your dormant customers, your best customers, each one of these. And there's two pages of these people. So there's probably 15 different segments of anything that you can imagine. The top 10 percentile customers by total items quantity purchased. I mean, you name it, they got it in here with one click of a button and exports that. And that's great for well, how do we get our LTV up? Well, go after your best customers and then go after your dormant customers with a discount. Win back those people. YouTube's one to two pennies per view on a customer list that's yours. And with $10 a day, you could hit 10,000 people a day easy. 
So those are kind of the things that you can now, not everyone's going to view. That's what you're you're only going to pay for a view after 10 seconds, but you can hit those 10,000 people a week for $10 a day. And you pop one sale on an average order value. That's 90 bucks and you break even. It's a win-win. It's a no brainer. Which by the way, is the goal now in e-commerce. We used to be able to make money on the front end purchase. And now we just want to break even on the front end purchase. And then soon it's going to be, well, we're going to hope to break even at the end of a year and so on and so forth as every industry gets more and more commoditized. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like this is so relevant right now. My question is, is on by the numbers, does it backfill data? If somebody were to start on it today, or is it like everything moving forward? Nope. If you start it today, it'll take sometimes two to three hours, but it will back through all of your data. And then two to three hours later, you'll see the percentage bar that once it hits 100%, obviously it says it's done. And then everything in the history is there. That's cool. That is killer. Oh my God. All right. We will leave links in the show notes and we'll put Cosm's affiliate link in there because I have a feeling he's going to be an affiliate for these guys pretty soon. We should be. <laughs> we should sign I know, up. I don't, I don't even know there is. <laughs> I know. I I'm was... so bad at that. You know what's funny is whenever I drop an affiliate link, it just, from my sensibility, it just seems like I lose all credibility. It's like, oh, right. that was a timeshare. It wasn't actually valuable. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we did just win a Tesla. Ralph, did I tell you that? Who did? John and I. I, John and I won I a Tesla hear this. from high level because we're one of the higher ranked go high level affiliates. And they sent me an email being like, you won a Tesla. <laughs> we should get on this affiliate game. There, there are more Teslas should. to be had. I think there's a lot more Teslas. You're going to have to give up your like 1987 Honda Accord for I'll that never, Tesla. It's a prelude, Ralph. How oh, dare prelude, you? prelude. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Watch your talk, but I... <laughs> Oh my God. All right. Well, we will leave links, no affiliate links here, well, but we will tell you if they are affiliate links just because we're above board at all times. But like, that's not the purpose. This is pretty amazing stuff. So we'll leave links in the show notes for this, courtesy of John Moran. And yeah, I guess we have to have him on more. Kasim. I mean, I hope that's okay for you. It's a blow to my ego. I'm okay with it though. I've reconciled myself to being the smartest guy on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's just not happening anymore. Like he's lost the crown. All right. Well, Cosm and I have a Rain Man type of relationship. So he's Tom Cruise, and I'm just over to accounting. You know, that's about it. (laughs) If only he was that good looking. All right. Well, anyway, we are going to get back to uh, John, the actual stuff we're going to be talking about, all the ways in which you're wasting your PPC ad spend with John Moran right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddy Scott Brandley, and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. 
So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Welcome back to Perpetual Traffic. We are here with my business partner, the smarter half of Solutions 8, the world authority in all things Google Ads, John Moran. This is fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah, John, you're a shockingly humble person for as much as we build you up. Either that or you have a shrine to yourself that you have hidden in the closet somewhere. Just realizing this? I mean, what's nice, I wake up, my whole family's just, you know, they're praying to that shrine. So I get a nice ego boost in the day. That, that holds me over throughout the whole day. So now I'm pretty humble after that. <laughs> Everyone should have a shrine of themselves in their house, right? Yeah. Well, you know, what's humbling is as I've been on the other side so long of like making mistakes, pressing wrong buttons, getting yelled at, getting fired by clients. And so the truth of the whole thing is I just made the most amount of mistakes than anybody else. I pressed the most amount of buttons that you probably shouldn't press and I learned the most. That's really it. Like I didn't come to this thing just like, I know the perfect way to do this. So I'm like, I know the 99 ways not to do this. And so that we could be able to write the first time. It's like Edison's light bulb. You know, it's the same thing. So, yeah, it's funny as if I didn't go through all those mistakes, I wouldn't be here. But it feels weird to say that I'm the smartest person. I just know what not to do and where to look at where this thing's going to fail. You can only be the smartest person after first being the dumbest person. Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Not to totally nerd out on everybody, but mythologically speaking, the fool is the precursor to the savior. You'll see that very often in fiction. Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archives, I think, is one of the best, most recent examples. But it happens... On a regular and recurring basis, the hero as the savior can't exist until first experiencing him or herself as the fool. And that's probably worth everybody thinking about a little bit. Like you can't do anything heroic or anything meaningful until you look a little stupid. And so if you're afraid to like step out, that's the cost. That's what it costs. You know, starting a business or starting a new role or even something as small as, and this isn't small at all, but something like asking for a promotion, which when compared to starting a new business might feel small, you have to be willing to look a little foolish. And then once you're willing to look foolish, now you've positioned yourself to really step in and and grow. Yeah. And I think it goes back to kind of that you master something after 10,000 hours. The first 3,000 hours were brutal. That's the thing is it was it was horrific. Dude, stand up comics talk about that. Stand ups say that it takes two years. That's like the classic trope. It takes two years of bombing nonstop before you even start to kind of get laughs. Can you imagine getting on stage for two years, you know, two or three nights a week and just like getting slaughtered? But once you do that, you kind of earn your stripes a little bit. Yeah. And I think as I've always been like a people pleaser, that's just kind of my personality. So I have this fear of letting people down, especially when it's like their ad spend. Then like I learned yeah, really fast. It's like, their millions of dollars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm going to waste $10,000 of their money and disappoint them. I'm like, that's not going to happen. And so right. that kind of accelerated that. So I think you have to have some sort of baseline level of anxiety to learn fast. <laughs> that's so funny. I think it's true in everything. I just watched the biography of Henry Ford just recently, and it was the same kind of thing. Like he was the fool before he was the genius. And I mean, even though cars were invented way before his arrival, but everyone thought he was absolutely crazy. Take any great inventor along the way, like Elon Musk, like read Elon Musk's book before Elon became Elon. 
the stuff that he was thinking about and wanting to do. Everyone sort of made him out to be a fool. But in the end, he became the innovator. And obviously, our world is somewhat changed by his innovations, as well as Henry Ford's. So anyway, you're the Henry Ford of Google advertising here today, John. <laughs> Hopefully, I'll be the smart Henry. Yeah, the wicked <laughs> smart Henry before he turned into the strange Henry later on in his life. Tell us how we're wasting our PPC ad spend. What are the top ways? Because this is something that people are really, I mean, it's obviously we've done many episodes on fears of loss, and especially right now with the financial situation and the economic situation of tad uncertain. We don't really know what's going on. People are looking for ways in which to save a few dollars in their spend. Google obviously is something that you know here, but what are the big ways that people can effectively implement new ways now in order to save that spend and continue to grow their businesses? Yeah, absolutely. So I've labeled out a few here that I think that are important just because everyone knows don't overspend on bad keywords and negative keyword, your negative keywords out and make sure you're not remarketing your existing purchasers. So we kind of have the standard that I think we've already covered in other episodes or you've covered other episodes. So I'm going to take it kind of one step down the rabbit hole and talk about a little bit more that you may not see. So things that are a little bit more advanced, things that you may not have had the ability to identify because you're not using the same tool set that I am, but you're still going to be inheriting those same fallacies and fail points that I have identified here that I want to share with you all. So we're going to be covering a couple of things like the Performance Max YouTube display brand, and we're going to talk about a little bit deeper into things that, you know, ROAS itself won't tell you or omni-channel visibility you're not going to have with inside of a Google Ads ecosystem. The first one I wanted to talk about is Pmax on existing website traffic. Now, this is not existing customers, which is getting more and more well-known, but it's existing website traffic. The delta between the new visits and visits are going to be your existing or existing traffic visits. Now, the bad part about Pmax and the bad part about Google is looking specifically just at new customer acquisition cost inside of a PMAX campaign doesn't mean that it started there. Your Google will tell you if you got a new customer, even Nordbeam or Triple Whale will tell you that you got a new customer inside of a specific campaign. However, did they start at that performance max is where you're going to be identifying, is this performance max actually working for me or not? Is it simply just inserting itself halfway through the conversion path and taking 100% of the credit? Did they start? on organic? Did they start on Facebook? Did they start on Instagram? Even YouTube, for example. So there's going to be other paths that are going to be starting those users that Pmax is going to take 100% credit for inside of Google if it started on Facebook. Or it's going to take 50% of the credit for if it started on, let's say, a search campaign. So one of the areas that you're going to want to look at is Pmax too heavily remarketing omni-channel users, which means so they click on Facebook and then does Pmax get the second, third, I've seen them as long as 37 and 40th click paths before you're able to actually identify if a person is converting or not. And one of the tools, obviously, that we use quite often is going to be Nordbeam. I think that's one of the best ways to identify a conversion path because this specifically talks about click paths. And I think click paths are important to identify because the view to click path is not something we're talking about. This is specifically, did they click on one channel and then did they click in another channel? Z's channel is obviously going to take 100% of the credit. But when you look at it from a CMO or a business person or a good marketer's view to say, well, what is my cost for acquiring a first-time customer? Too much overlap is going to greatly 
drive up the expenses of that cost. So you have too many clicks in Facebook and then too many clicks in Google or vice versa. So that's one of the areas that I think is overspending is because we're using the best we can, which is, well, my CPO is low or the cost board or my CPA is low or my ROAS is high. You're missing out on those very long click paths that are overlapping. So I'll share screen here. And I wanted to share this. This is the individual click paths based off of the kind. So for example, on the screen here, I have a $31 sale. They had a first click in Pmax. Then they had three email clicks that had seven more email clicks. Then they had a Facebook advantage shopping, then a brand click, and then another PMAX click, and then another Facebook click. So John, just to pause you real quick, out of curiosity, they got a PMAX click and then an email click. So does it stand to reason that the subscription came off of that PMAX click or could they have been previous subscribers? PMAX is the first recorded interaction and then they came back via email or there's just no way to know. No, they could absolutely be an existing customer already. This could be a branded search. It's a, this is actually my PMAX campaign that I've dedicated to a majority of my branded searches. I have about 25 PMAX campaigns in this account. This one is just my branded one. That's where that overspend is going to go crazy is because, for example, instead of Google, I had a PMAX click and then a branded click and then a same PMAX click. Well, this is where we get into the deeper conversation about data-driven attribution inside of Google Ads. Google Ads is removing first click, time decay, linear. They're only giving you last click or data-driven. Like that's the, their position base is gone too. Like they're removing all of those. So what's interesting is you're going to have position based and last click, which favors Pmax because it always shows up halfway through the funnel. On a, on a new customer. And this is just an example of how often this happens. But to the person that may be thinking, well, Performance Max ROAS is really good. Yes, but was it new? Could be. This person could have seen a Facebook ad 15 times that day and Google the brand name. Now, there we go. That happens all the time. Now, did you get a new customer? Sure. Was a cat good? Absolutely. Where to start? I have no idea. <laughs> That's where the overspending is unidentified. So what's interesting about this is if we're using a data-driven attribution, we have two clicks in PMAX, one click in brand. 66% of the sale is going to be given to PMAX. Because PMAX are usually 50 to 60 cent clicks, this is probably going to cost me about a grand total of $2. Well, if you think about an average order value of 40, that's a fantastic ROAS. So when looking at click paths, when you're looking at your actual modeling of your marketing, in this specific client, I use I spend very little in Performance Max, and I spend a lot more in standard shopping because I have brand excluded. I know that the click paths are always a first click in my entire pass sequence that could not have been a branded search click. And then you'll see Performance Max start to scoop up those people afterwards. It does a lot of the remarketing and a lot of the return brand. That's okay. So I use standard shopping to get a high CPC click that has a very terrible ROAS because that campaign is only going to get one click. Unless you do a bunch of cold traffic searches and keep clicking on my shopping ad, for example, you're really only going to search for something, click on the shopping ad, find out who the company is, and then that job is done with that standard shopping campaign. Then it turns into Pmax. You can have a high ROAS on Pmax, low daily ad spends. Your ROAS could be one to 2,000. That's fine, but don't scale that. That's not where they're starting. So identifying the starting point is going to be very important for PMAX. You're not wasting the ad spend there simply just by saying, can PMAX reinsert itself in your seven different marketing channels that you're currently running? An easy identifier of that is looking at the new users and the total users. If it's 80% cold, if you're using Norbeam or even Triple Whale, they should give you a new and all visitors. 
And you should have, for an example, at a minimum, 10,000 users, 8,000 new. And it should be usually one pixel that's installed across all your channels. PMAX can work very, very, very well. It absolutely can. When they're a new user to the site based on the pixel of the attribution software, it means, no, we have not seen this person coming from a Facebook click or an Instagram click. So that's the first thing I want to look at is having at least 75 to 80% of the PMAX traffic be new. I've seen it all the way down to something as 40%, whether it's like 10,000 users, 4,000 new. Don't scale that. That's half warm. Now, the other part that you want to look at too, though, is if it is at a high new user count, is the search categories heavy brand? Because if so, it's still going to be quote unquote new users to the site and it will still have a good return on ad spend or it will good have a good mer. But if you look at the actual search categories, if it's heavy brand, that's indicative that they're not starting there. They already knew about you somehow. It could still be a new click to the site. Don't be confused by new users. That's just the first touch point. Where is the first visual? Was it from YouTube? Was it from Facebook? Was it from Instagram? All of those things that could not be associated by a click can be eliminated in your mind by looking at the search categories and say, well, it's cold traffic. It's not brand. There is some brand in there. That's okay. But it's majority cold traffic search terms. And the users are eight out of 10 or four out of five is a first time click. That's how you can really reduce the wasted ad spend in performance max when you're looking at omni channels, those two figures there. So if that's the case, I mean, if you have a fair amount of branded search, but you're not sure where they're finding you out. We actually had a show on this with Eller Heck a few weeks back with you guys, because the YouTube ads that you're using sort of very, very top of funnel, like pre-awareness weren't showing up as a click. It was a view. So like, that seems like that's a challenge for a lot of businesses is, oh, okay. I I mean, I get, you know, Google is going to obviously take credit for a branded search, but how are they finding out about me? Is that still a black hole from your perspective? I know it's not necessarily the wasted PPC ad spend subject matter that we're talking about here, but I think that's an issue for a lot of folks. How would you try and troubleshoot that? Yeah, really. Scaling while holding Mer is going to prove out any sort of theoretical model. What I mean by that is, I'll give you a quick example. I'm going to share with you a client that if there was anybody out there that is a marketer would probably say, nope, I wouldn't have done that. And that's what majority of marketers do is they look at just the individual channel ROAS, even on a tool like Nordbeam, for example. Here's my clicks only. Yep. So see how I have 41,000 in Google and I made 180K, which is a 4.35 ROAS. Scale up the Google ads. Exactly. And Facebook was spending 6,200 bucks making eight and they have a 1.32. Facebook sucks. Facebook sucks. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And what's funny is the client says, hey, I have an initial like 20 grand. I'd like to give it to you. I said, don't give me a dime. Because if you go to Google right now and you type anything hammock related, you can't get rid of me. I am at the top 24-7. Hammock, most comfortable hammock. Well, this is this loads. Like, there's me. There's me again. Like, I own Google. If you give me any more dollars, I'm not going to be able to do anything with it. I said, put 100% of that money into Facebook. They said, well, it's a 1.32 mer. I what? said, I don't care. You're crazy, John. You're crazy. I know, right? It's madness. And what's funny is watch the 6.61 global mer. 6.61. Now look at the last 28 days. See how the six grand in Facebook last 28 days goes to 40 grand in Facebook? We scaled up 245% just in the last 28 days. When you're looking at the 1st to the 15th of April, we started scaling April 15th. And now this is just the last 28 days. My 6.68 went to a 7.62. My 1.2 went to a 2.9. Google's looking better. Look at that. Google shot up 29% MERN, 38% in revenue for no changes. But top line is the only thing that matters. 
57% more spend, 44% more revenue. My MER held 8.3. It's still above a 7. My CAC only went up 46%. I'm still at 80. I don't care if it's $80 CAC when my average order value is 561. Boo-hoo. I'm still holding a 7. So what's funny is you took a 1.5 and scaled it. Why? Well, because I am running PMAX and I'm going to remarket your existing traffic. So I should benefit from your scale from a click perspective. I also have brands, so I should just earn more branded search. So theoretically, if I have a really good channel that I know can push a really amazing product with good creative, and I know Google's tapped out in relevancy as much as possible, if I scale this, top line should hold. I don't care what the individual channels say. So that's how you're identifying the overlap. And I proved that I have overlap because I gained 40% revenue without having to lift a finger. So scaling while holding MER is going to prove models. It does not matter what your actual in-channel metrics. It does not matter what your in-app metrics. The only thing, actually, I'll share screen again. The only thing I look at ever in a client is this column and this column. Because if my assumptions are right, I could care less what individual omni-channel click pass that some specific person took on Tuesday. Great. That's up to them. They have free will. And my joke is I'm not Aladdin. I can't control free will. But if I scale the correct channel, the, the MER should hold. That's all that matters. If you start dumping in ad spend, it does not work, period. Regardless of attribution, MER will drop. Very simple. So by scaling a good channel with quality creative, whether it's YouTube, think about this. There's no possible way in anybody in the history of the world can say, no, 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 I think YouTube is doing a lot better. And you're like, well, I'm hemorrhaging cash. So who's right? Cash wins. So if you're scaling something that works, your MER should hold. And that's where you can prove out if that black box is actually working. Or on the other side, you want to do it safely, pull back. That is a fascinating example. It's a fascinating example. Literally, that was the scenario. Hey, I've got 20K extra in spend. Where do I spend it? All indications say- I don't do Facebook. I was like, give it to them. Give it to them. So, I mean, is that a repeat? Like, obviously, there's something that they're doing very top of funnel pre-awareness or awareness- it's not all retargeting ad spend for 20K. I would have to assume that's very, very top of funnel stuff. Do you know what's going on in that channel? So glad you asked. <laughs> so this is my strategy based off of this exact modeling that I was telling you about. So this company is fantastic at Facebook. When we linked up with them, I said, hey, I'm going to be running Performance Max and I'll be capturing brand. If you ignore Mer, I need you to go as cold as possible. Ignore your ROAS in your channel. Your channel is going to look horrible because you're going to earn more first clicks, just like standard shopping. Your job is to earn as many first clicks, and then you and I will beat them up and retarget them together. But I have a cold traffic channel that is searched that I can push. Shopping does okay, but search for some reason does way better. But I have a cold traffic channel I can push. You need a cold traffic channel you could push. So we actually took their Facebook ads and we took their Advantage Plus campaign and we excluded two things. One, the picks of 180-day users. Two, the existing customers. And now what's nice is when looking at a cash basis, which of course, you know this because obviously you're experts at Facebook, but most people don't. They'll exclude the customers, but they won't exclude the website traffic. And that's where this thing goes Huge mistake. really haywire. Exactly. Yeah. So that's where Advantage Plus, we have out of 3,300 visits, 2,900. Basically, I'm only 17 away from three. So three grand out of 3,300 are new. That is very, very cold. So the MER is, eh, it's okay, but now my retargeting is climbing. So my retargeting is 2,800 visits, 1,400 are cold. So that's half. So 50% are quote unquote new visits because no one's going to be able to actually tell you the real data. For the record, I'm an early investor in Norbeam, and this data will never be accurate. I'm just going to let everyone know that. It will never be. But the trends are right. And that's what we're looking at. We're leaning on trends, period. 
So as long as this broken clock, it looks better than that broken clock. I'm going to bet on that broken clock because it's going to be rice twice a day. So try to be more cold. Whose broken clock is better? <laughs> I know, exactly. Dude, that's what we should do. We should launch our own attribution software called the broken clock. <laughs> so true. Yeah, it's exactly right. So as long as we went cold on Facebook, I'm going to benefit from brand and Pmax. I spent 7% more, made 40% more revenue. And I told a client, that's not me. And that's them. That's why you give it to them. We're both going to look good. Top line Mer will hold if they're a good quality traffic that they're driving. And lo and behold, hey, look at that. We're right. And if I look at the back end of Shopify, it went from month one, month two, month three, 30% year over year down. We're now 55% year over year up since we hired this new Facebook agency together. And I said, here's what we need to do. It's been proven. Dude, you just, I think, dropped the biggest take-home message for everybody listening. If you're a CMO, the thing that you're fighting against is the fallacy of clean data. You walk into board meetings, executive meetings, quarterly updates, whatever, and people assume you should be able to give them clean data. And what you do is if you fall into that trap, you have to give the in-app data. Because the in-app data, meaning Google's ROAS, CPA, or Facebook's return, the in-app data is the only clean data. The thing that you need to do is champion the broken clock narrative that John just posited here. And I love that phrase, John, because it lets everybody know exactly what it is that we're dealing with. The data will never be clean. We'll never know exactly. It's always going to be messy. It's always going to be fake. It's always going to be vague. As a matter of fact, that's going to get worse as browsing complexity increases, privacy first initiatives increase, statecraft from different organizations, stop data sharing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We're dealing with broken clock data. And so if you're a CMO, you need to educate everybody in your organization on that first. Because if you're being forced into a position of providing clean data, you actually can't make good decisions because you're making decisions on data that's a lie. This reminds me of that meme where you have those two booths and one of them is the convenient lie and the other one is the unhealthy truth or whatever and everybody's lined up behind the convenient lie. We as the marketing directors of the world have to educate the leadership on the fact that we're dealing with broken clocks. And until you do that, there's no forward movement at all, period. Well, you're exactly right. And the most painful part of this whole thing is to be a CMO that says, I know Google's got 6x and Facebook's got a 1.5. We're going to dump a bunch of money into Facebook. We're like, going to be Facebook. That's exactly right. right. Get rid of right. Facebook. And watch this. January 1st to the 31st, 2023. Previous year, down 20%. We started scaling in April. So January, down 20%. February, year over year, down 35%. March, year over year, down 51%. Let's do last 30 days. Up 46% year over year on my store, up 47%. What do we do? We scaled the bad ROAS because ROAS is fake. And if you use ROAS, you're going to be learning a very hard lesson that you did something wrong. Dude, we need t-shirts. ROAS is fake. This is one of the best episodes I think we've ever done. I'm just saying that. Because if you're a CMO or a VP of marketing or a CEO, go back and listen to the last 15, 20 minutes. It's so counterintuitive. And you proved it out. Now, you also did it in the right way. And that top of funnel channel could also be YouTube. I'm like, all right, so we're meta platform. We're not agnostic to platforms, but obviously we favor the meta platforms. We look at everything through meta glasses. But we also understand like the synergy between the two is like once you get that right, traffic harmonization is a real deal. You can actually make it all work, but it doesn't necessarily need to be Facebook all the time. It could be YouTube. That spend that's at like 1.15 and oh, I don't want to upset the apple cart. So at a base level, if you don't have all these tools, and obviously we'll leave links to Lifetimely and buy the numbers and all the stuff that we talked about in the nugget, 
and as well as North Beam and I'm an investor in North Beam as well. But the point <laughs> is not all of us. You got to hand it to that guy. You got to yeah, hand good. it to Austin. <laughs> yeah. He's good. Suckered yeah. us all in. Yeah. No, it's a great tool. But <laughs> yeah. I also like a lot of the other tools as well, having said that. But the point is, is if you're a blind man without any of those tools, is the simple solution, and I'm just stating this because I was at a meeting with a bunch of CEOs last week. And one of the CEOs was like, I'm spending 70 to 80 grand on Facebook and Google. And I don't know what to do, where to do it. Would you just That's say- 95% of them. So- would you just say as a general rule, do a test with a set amount of money on the top of funnel channel, which in this case for him was Facebook? Is it just that simple and see what happens? I learned a saying from Kasim and it makes so much sense all the freaking time, which is the ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. I invented that. We thing. just met a company. There you go. <laughs> it's on a bumper sticker on my car. We have a client that we just went through the same exact scenario with. And my opinion is it's worth investing into visibility first. That's 100% key. What I mean by that is and you don't need to have by the numbers. You can do this with pencil paper in an hour. But identifying your CAC target and then identifying what your global cost of acquiring a first customer is initially is going to be step one. Your CAC target can obviously be your AOV multiplied by your repeat rate, which is without an app that's still in Shopify, it gives you variables of that. And then divide your profit margin and be like, okay, that's my cost. And then look at all of your marketing spend the last 30 days compared to what your new customers were and then divide your marketing cost by the amount of new customers. That's the first thing you need to do. Then that's where I think you'll need Norbeam. Again, it's not gonna be right, but that's the trends. Once you have it stabilized, you may say, hey, my cost is okay or my global cost is kind of bad. Then you can test it. Now you say, okay, you know what your target is. You know your repeat rate. does. That's all solidified. That's static. That stays there. Now, when you look at Nordbeam, you have a CAC target of, let's say, 25 bucks. Facebook might be 100 and Google might be 37. Who cares? But if you drop spend in Facebook, does your MER go down? Or if you drop spend in Google, does everything stay the same? That may happen. So when you're looking at what you want to test first, my actual method is find your baselines that work because there is never going to be a possibility that your MER numbers and your global MER are going to line up. It's not possible. So what I mean by that is take any one of these clients here. I'll go to this one. Let's use this client here for fun. There's never a time that these numbers match up. What I mean by that is how does a 1.47 making 60K and a 3.52 making 33K how does that equal a 4.15 when that's all my spend right there? There's no history that a 3.5 and a 1.4 average up to 4.1. The math doesn't math. So what you're trying to identify is what are... What are the math doesn't math. The math doesn't math. <laughs> so what you have to do is identify a healthy benchmark for that channel for the purpose. Facebook should be lower. It should be more cold. Google's going to have brand remarking. It should be higher. So find the two benchmarks that are working well that equal a good MER and you scale those proportionately by percentages. If you're spending 100 grand on Google and 200 grand on Facebook, and you had 10%, you had 20 grand on Facebook, 10% to Google. Add it at a percentile at scale, and if Mer holds, you got a good media mix. If not, there's going to be some finagling. I'm oversimplifying it, but top line should be find the benchmarks that work well for the top line benchmarks and scale equally. Don't just say like, well, look at Google's doing better and they kill Facebook and then Google crashes and blah, 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 blah. Dude, we see that a lot. I hate to admit this, but flashback, John, four years ago. And the data was a lot cleaner then. It was less of an issue. But even then, 
four years ago, before we learned how much the in-app metrics were lies, we were as guilty <laughs> as anybody else of saying like, oh, oh yeah, well, turn, totally. turn that off because we're crushing it at four, five, six, seven, eight. But then once they turned that off, three months later, four months later, five months later, we're like, we don't know why this is dying either. Right. This is very uncanny. It's the market. It's obviously the economy. You've done something wrong because I can show you six, seven, eight, nine X ROAS, but it's tapering. So the ROAS stays <laughs> high, but the volume starts to drop on us and we don't know why. And it's human nature though. I mean, that's especially when you're dealing with like multiple players inside a customer account. It's human nature to be provincial. You want your stuff to work and you want the other guy's stuff maybe not to work quite as well. Well, if actually you take the view of the law of attraction or the law of abundance and everything actually works together, that's actually how it works in the real world. This has been tremendous. This is only our first tip, and we have gone deep here, yeah. John we're Moran. We're gonna I told you we wouldn't get through bullet points. I know. He's like, yeah, we'll get through all 19. Points, and I was like, we're not yeah. going to get through three we're of these. Like, no, I, think, I think we can do them all. Well, if you guys <laughs> stop interrupting me, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, that's that's the problem. To speak. <laughs> you got a couple of marketing geeks getting into the nitty gritty here. Well, I think literally going back and just listening to what we talked about here a couple of times because you do talk fast is a really, really good, like this is such a huge problem. Every business has this problem in one way, shape or form if they are marketing themselves online, bar none. So go back and listen to that. We've got a little bit more from John Moran, maybe not all 17 points on his list <laughs> uh, right after this quick break. <laughs> Do you want to acquire more customers and enhance their lifetime value? Well, isn't that the purpose of online marketing is to acquire brand new customers from cold traffic, or as we say, crack the code on cold traffic? Well, that's exactly what we do at Tier 11. And we do it through a system called Customer Acquisition Amplification. What's Customer Acquisition Amplification, or CAMP for short? Well, it's a revolutionary approach to digital marketing that analyzes and identifies opportunities in your company's growth throughout your entire customer acquisition path. How we do it? Well, we sniff out the friction, and we identify the gaps in your messaging. And then we find every missed opportunity to take your prospects on the ideal journey from first touch to high value conversion. And that's what camp is all about. So if you are a business owner or you're a CMO or a director of marketing looking to take your business to the next level and finally acquire brand new customers and enhance their lifetime value so you can achieve your vision as an organization, then contact us at tier11.com. Click the big pink button in the upper right-hand corner and fill out the application and talk to our team to how we can help you scale and grow using customer acquisition amplification. Welcome back to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. We're here with John Moran from Solutions 8, and I would definitely recommend going back and listening to the first part of this episode here. We're going to be getting into more ways in which you're probably wasting your PPC ad spend in just a moment. But Kasim, Kasim, there's something profound that you want to say. So profound, Ralph. It's a paradigm approach. You know, I'm constantly thinking, how do we serve the CMO? Because a lot of what we've done here is, I don't want to say in the weeds, but it's very technical. It's diving down deep into the specific functions of the mechanisms. And as we're doing that, it occurs to me that what we need across all market marketing organizations is a paradigm shift. And the paradigm shift is systems thinking. And it's so funny, man. I was just reading this yesterday. I was reading, it's a book called No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz. And I'm going to read a real quick snippet. He says, the growth of systems thinking. 
Systems thinking was originally developed by biologists in Europe in the 1920s who found that the method of studying cell biology by learning the laws of physics for each cell, that is, by using the traditional mechanistic reductionist approach, was inadequate for understanding how cells relate to each other to form living organisms. They found that the behavior of the whole system could not be understood from the study of each part in isolation, outside of the context of the whole system. So this is, the whole is greater than the sum of our parts. I think this is where we need to take our entire industry. Our entire industry is focused on this reductionistic approach to, oh, how is email functioning? Great, we reported on email, we troubleshooted email, we optimized email, let's move on. Instead, we need to zoom out and we need to begin taking, and John, you already do this and you do this naturally, but most people don't. The way that we're taught in schools isn't systems thinking. You're taught math independent of biology, independent of physics, independent of literature. Right. And what that does is it silos your thinking and the higher forms of pedagogy, you're starting to like IB does this. They merge those things. They'll ask you a biology question where you have to write an essay using foreign language, for instance, and combining those things into a systems thinking approach. It increases the propensity for learning like tenfold or something insane. We need to do the same thing with our marketing. We have to approach marketing from a systems thinking paradigm. And right now, nobody does that. And I feel like what we just did on this episode is we founded a revolution, you guys. We can't let this go. We need to plant our flag. We need all sorts of things. We need a declaration of independence. We need a logo. We need a, I don't know, we need a tattoo. This should be the biggest paradigm shift in this decade in marketing is systems thinking marketing. Moving away from the fraction and moving towards kind of viewing it as a global organic ecosystem. I'm done. Was that too much? <laughs> I'll write the constitution that we need, but that's, I'm, I'm down. <laughs> I mean, it's like the function of the human body, like the digestive tract actually has a direct relation on the cardiovascular system, on the pulmonary system, on the neurological system, lymphatic system. Everything actually works together as opposed to separately. Like your heart doesn't actually pump and beat independently of everything else. It works with everything. And understanding that you can't take stuff into isolation, like what you eat and what's in your gut affects your cardiovascular health. Those sorts of things. I mean, obviously, like from a coronary artery disease standpoint, but it actually impacts how you think. Everything within a whole has to be measured within the whole as opposed to each individual system, which I think is what you're trying to say here. And I think that's the new marketing. The new marketing the new really marketing is, is systems thinking. Yeah. It's looking yeah. at it as whole. And I think we're so just trained to be siloed in this. And we're guilty of it too. You can't say that we're not. You're a Google Ads agency. We're primarily meta with a lot of other stuff. But the point is, it's like you start that way. And then you really realize exactly what John said before the break. It's like all of this stuff works together. And some of it is unknown still. There's always going to be that unknown. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's trust but verify. I'm going to talk in circles here a little bit. And I hope you guys will forgive me. The unknown, you begin to put boundaries around the unknown when you're willing to look at things from a systems thinking perspective. When you're looking at everything isolated, you don't know where the unknown exists. You can't. But when you look at a system, you begin to identify the nodes, how and where those nodes are connected, where you can see the nodes perfectly and where it gets opaque. And now by triangulating through the nodes of the system, 
the unknown is still unknown, but at least you have boundaries around it. And at least you can say like, oh, our first party acquisition from a customer perspective, we're losing that data. And again, this is where I'm talking in circles and where we've lost all of our listeners. But you actually, <laughs> you start to know the unknown. You're, you're just, just trying to get them to join the revolution, Casa. Yeah, That's what no, you're trying to it's do. It's so important. I don't want to zoom too far out. I do think you start to put boundaries around the unknown, which means you start to know the unknown. And a problem well-defined is half solved. So there's a ton of this crap that you're never actually going to be able to put numbers to, but at least you're going to know where it exists and where your blind spots are. And identifying your blind spots requires a systems thinking approach too. Yeah. And what's really interesting about the whole thing too is that we're going to take, you have to take it one step deeper, which really is horrifying. There's something called zero data. Zero data in the attribution world is data that we have zero touch points and zero visibility as to how it got there. It's usually direct visits. And direct visits are becoming more and more popular because if you all pull out your Apple phone right now and go to Safari and type in N-I-K, and it's like, oh, are you trying to go to Nike? And you're like, yep. And you click Nike and you click that big button at the top. That's a direct visit now. Now, did you hear about that person on YouTube? Sure. Did you hear about the company on YouTube? Yes. On Facebook? Yep. On Instagram, saw three ads. Well, what's your first touch point? Direct. So that zero data is unattributable. And that's where that clock is always going to be broken. There is never anybody in the history of the world that is going to be able to 100% attribute a direct visit. You can't because you cannot ever prove that they didn't hear a TV ad and then watch a YouTube ad and then pull out and then tell their wife, hey, go to Nike. It's physically impossible to attribute that completely. So that zero data is then tested by scaling in reductions of specific spends inside of Google, Facebook, et cetera. I have a use case for it, but it'll take too long to explain and do screen shares. But long story short, I doubled my standard shopping budget inside of a campaign in two days. And it was actually a substantial increase. Went from 12 grand a day to 25 grand a day. And my revenue inside of that channel only went up 40%. But the amount of revenue that went up in that specific campaign, 40%, plus my direct, plus my unattributed, plus my organic, equal they even scale. My CAC only changed by 1.6%. So I, everything else being completely static, I just doubled the budget fairly high on that big campaign. Everything stayed the same. So that was now we're going to spend another 150 grand on it by the end of this month. So it's fantastic. But yeah, you're exactly right. The unknowns, you don't know where the direct is. But that's why I said the broken clock, you can track a trend. I don't know if that's all direct. Maybe they had a touch point. Maybe I lost attribution. But if that number goes up when I do that, and then it goes up again when I do that, and then it goes up again. If I do it again a third time, perfect. Now I have a trend. So that's all we're doing. We're tracking trends. That's it. That's why when we look at ad spend, like for our own personal marketing, we look at marketing budget. We look at our overall marketing because it's not just the ad spend. It's all the other sorts of things that we're doing. We're tripling our production for video. We're doing a lot of stuff here for perpetual traffic. All of those costs. Would I rather spend an extra $3,500 a month to get my video guy full time versus spending $3,500 a month on ad spend? Well, the data shows me that even though it's unknown, that the video guy is going to pay 10x what I would spend on just advertising. Like maybe it's retargeting, maybe it's top of funnel. Definitely top of funnel would probably have some kind of effect later on. The point is, is like you have to sort of look at your marketing budget, not necessarily as an ad budget, but as an overall marketing spend as well. Yeah, we sometimes break it down in clients. Because that's where a lot of that unknown stuff comes. If you have a good organic following or if you're doing more, your YouTube, you're doing stuff on socials, like all of that is pre-click that you never really know until they make that first click. Yeah. A good way if you're just starting off and thinking about this is actually, you know what? I'll wait till the end. That'll be the actionable tip at the end of this video. So Ooh, that was a teaser. Yeah. Don't go anywhere. Don't go. 
it's kind of like the news segments where it's like this could be killing you right now that at 10 it's like oh I, it's <laughs> at in the afternoon. <laughs> what i'm gonna die between now and then <laughs> that's so funny do you only have two hours to live that at 10 o'clock that's <laughs> right be back at 10 i want to jump to my next tip i'm going to skip down the line because i think this one's just as advanced as what we were talking about before and it's really really fun so YouTube overspending on audiences with too much what they call EVC and not a click. So EVC stands for engaged view conversions. And I'm going to throw Google under the bus here because back in February, they have an internal memo. I've seen it twice from two trusted reps that's not updated in Google Ads yet. But back in February of 2023, so three months ago, they actually changed when they count an EVC, which is an engaged view conversion from a 10 second threshold to a five second threshold, which means if someone watches an ad for longer than five seconds and then converts within the view engaged conversion window, which defaults to three days, Google counts it as a conversion. So what's interesting is they don't need to even click on the ad, but just even by virtue of skipping the ad at six seconds, technically means that they've seen the ad now. Because if you skip at six seconds, which is the first time the five second countdown, once you get through that five second countdown, Google has tagged you with an EVC if you convert later on in that conversion window, that is three days. What we started to look at was, well, what's the split between a campaign's engaged view conversion window and a click? Now, we know that YouTube is not a click-heavy network. YouTube is a very view-heavy network. That's just, I mean, anybody listening, ask yourself, did you ever see an ad and click on a YouTube ad and then go and buy something? I would imagine 95% of you out there would probably say, no, I haven't. But I have found out about a company from YouTube. We're not discussing the validity of YouTube. What we're saying is overspending. And here's what I mean. I have a small case study that I'm going to pull up here on the screen that is going to be extremely eye-opening. And this is a company here that we're spending a fair amount of money on inside of YouTube. And from April to May, so last was at 42 days, we spent about 154k on YouTube. You'll see here that the top line numbers will show that in the last month and a half, we spent 36% more and only gained 10% more conversions and only gained 8% more conversion value. So my ROAS dipped down by 20% to 2.29. Now, if you're measuring ROAS, you're like, "Uh oh, that's bad. That's not good. Now, what's interesting about this is what we're doing here. Watch this. For a 30% less cost, I got 5% more click conversions and 36% less engaged view conversions. Now that seems seems a bit weird. If we look at, and I did this for each one of the campaigns one by one, and I'll share with you what I did, but I want to share with you something cool that if we look at the total campaigns, I have 36% increase in cost and I have 34% increase in click attributed conversions and 3% less engaged view conversions. So my ratio of clickers to purchasers went up 34%. My ratio of viewers to purchasers went down 3%. What this means is that I scaled my click attributed conversions perfectly. And the only thing I did is I took the last 60 days of website visitors out from these campaigns. What this means is that Google was going after people who have already been on the site, showed them an ad, and inserted itself halfway through the funnel that when they bought, took all the credit. So I had less click-engaged people, people that are actually taking action for the first time or at least taking action on my campaigns, and that was diminishing. And people were just simply seeing an ad while halfway through. It's like, hey, do you want to buy this product? It's like, yeah, I was already going to buy that product. And then Google's like, look what I did. So it was overspending on those people. 
<laughs> That's exactly what was going on. So when I removed the ability for Google to actually go after the warm audiences, my click conversions went up 30%, same with my cost. Now I have scaling new customer growth because I'm not taking the last two months of people that have already been on the site. And I also have the purchasers excluded. But when my view engaged conversions went down, I scaled the quality audience inside of YouTube. And now it looks like my campaigns did bad, but my global CAC is down 11% since doing this because I'm getting more new users, not just inserting myself halfway through the funnel. End of rant. That's actually kind of brilliant on Google's end. I guess here's what I'm saying. The fact that you even figured out what they were doing amazes me. Because how could anybody possibly sleuth that? Like, that's a straight up murder mystery. All of a sudden, Google sees somebody who's going to buy, decides that there's a way to orchestrate it so that they can insert themselves right into the middle of that transaction, and then basically become the commissioned salesperson on the other end being like, you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So 60 days, you said, exclude website visitors from those specific campaigns for, and why 60 days, John? Why not broader or more narrow, or is it specific to that customer? This client actually spends about 100K a day on Facebook. We spend about a million a month in Google. There's a lot of traffic. And so these people sometimes will take a long time to buy. And they'll sometimes will take even a long time to upsell themselves. This client is a supplement company that has a lot of supplements and a lot of stacks. So people buy one product and they come back and buy the bigger product. So I wanted the longest time period that I could know that someone would be interested in even hearing about this company and just simply remove those people. Like if they've been to the website a month and a half ago and they're ready to come back and buy, I didn't want them included either. As I wanted Google to learn off of brand new audiences so that when I scale it, it will scale myrrh. Rather than when I scale it, I will drop Mer because I'm just hitting more warm people. They're not buying any faster because they see two ads instead of one ad. That's not going to happen. But I can scale cold. I can't scale warm. So the colder I can make this, the truer it will be at scale and more resilient it will be to drop a Mer at scale because I'm scaling new quality traffic, not just 70% new quality traffic, 30% of existing users, not customers, existing users, which means at scale, my scale effectiveness is 30% reduced because 70 cents out of every dollar is going to new and 30% is going to warm. So the problem is I can't scale that without my incremental CAC growing in CAC value. So a quick understanding of incremental CAC versus CAC. If a seven-day window of purchasers, which means in the last seven days, you have a CAC total. The last seven days means that there's 40% new users, 30% warming up users, and another 30% that are ready to buy. That equals a average CAC of, let's say, $50. Well, when you scale, the reason why your CAC goes up is because you flood in new traffic. You're not flooding in new traffic, warm traffic, and ready to buy traffic. You're not flooding in those three audience types. You're only flooding in new. So the new is much more expensive because they're cold. So that's why your CAC grows to what they call an incremental CAC. Best way to find your incremental CAC is look at a one-day click accrual version of your CAC, like what happened in one day with one click without warm audiences. What is that? If it's a $100 CAC and your average is 50, when you scale, you're bringing more $100 CAC people. So your incremental CAC is like 100, your average CAC is 50, so it's going to go up to 75 at scale. When you have warm audiences, though, that is going to blow past the incremental CAC because now I'm trying to bring in a bunch of $100 CAC users into the funnel, but then I'm also trying to remarket 30% of my ready-to-buy people, which means now my scale efficiency is reduced. So that's why I wanted to have more click-attributed conversions rather than just inserting itself into the funnel because I can scale this now. Have you ever answered a question with a simple yes or no? Well, let me get into that. (laughs) (laughs) Let me give you a 10-minute example. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) I will ask you this, though. 
it, the increment under that model, perpetual traffic listener doesn't care about any solutions, aid inside jokes, by the way. I just know that like, we will leave links to these. I think we're hilarious, Ralph. <laughs> yeah, man, costumes think we're funny too, but like nobody else does. But anyway, in that model, trying to bring it back to helpful, useful information for our listeners, is the incremental CAC, once you flood them with the new cold traffic, the incremental CAC, once you normalize that, shouldn't it decrease over time? Because it's like the first week you're flooding it, but then over time, it's going to even out, correct? And you have ergo started your scale. You're 100% right. But that's going to be based on the assumption, though, that you're only scaling new cold users, right? That's what I want to do. I want to scale and grow new customers. Exactly. This is what I've done here to ensure that because now without having the 60-day warm audience, when I scale, I only will scale that new incremental CAC, not trying to scale the new incremental CAC at the same time trying to overspend on the warm traffic. That incremental CAC would be higher because it's going to be 30% reduced. So you're 100% right. And yes, if you scale, you're going to see the CAC go up and then it's going to normalize as that pipeline is filled with new users for sure. This model, if I try to scale YouTube, Google will say I'm doing a fantastic job. It's even scale. ROAS looks super good. Why? Because I also spent a little bit more money on the warm audiences. So Google says everything's fine. The back end says, well, we just can't scale YouTube, guys. As soon as we scale YouTube, look at what happens to our cost required first-time customer. And you're like, well, the ROAS looks good. I don't know what's going on. And that's where this gets overspent on the bad audience. That's where you waste that ad spend. And in that case, you're flooding with more cold traffic. But then as a result, as it normalizes, you need to increase your retargeting budgets as well, incrementally or does it become more efficient over time? That's where you get into omni-channel for sure. I actually leave Facebook to do more remarketing than Google. If there's a bigger pot, it'll be better served is what you're saying. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. I think that Google as a whole does a lot better for direct response. I don't know of anybody in the last year that clicked on a display ad and bought anything. Honestly, it just doesn't happen. But you can make much different variations of quality media inside of Facebook and Instagram, in my opinion. Short form video content, you could do that on YouTube as well. But YouTube is not a click attributed network, so it's harder to measure. But a lot of times, if you look at the click attributed conversions between cold traffic YouTube and warm traffic YouTube, they're fairly equal. Sometimes remarketing actually is a little bit higher of a click attributed conversion. Now, not to say that it doesn't help. I just don't push there too much. And I actually spend a lot less on remarketing than probably many other agencies. And that's because each time I pull back on warm audiences remarketing, my CAC gets better. That's why I even stopped showing ads to people that are already on the site. They haven't even bought yet. And I stopped showing it because my CAC got better. So I was like, we're overspending on remarketing, overspending on continued warm traffic. There's never been a time where a lot of people are like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to buy that yet. And then they see like three ads in a row. They're like, and they go and buy it. Like it doesn't happen that often. So be vigilant with overspending. And you have to keep an eye on frequency as well with those audiences. That's a pretty deep tip there. The takeaway, like at least from my perspective, like a VP of marketing or a CMO, like are you using exclusions <laughs> on those audiences? That kind of seems like a big tip here. Like or a good takeaway. Yeah. We do. We use a lot of exclusions and a lot of times we'll actually purposely exclude those people. <laughs> we'll exclude those people in multiple channels. There's nothing shallow about John. Let's just say this. He always dives into the deep end. He's not in the kiddie pool ever. You know, go deep or go home. That's what I always say. And so 
we actually have been generating different accounts inside of Facebook for this reason too. We actually have been generating sometimes multiple accounts with Advantage Plus campaigns to instruct the client to because we don't do any Facebook ads. But what's interesting about it is we actually retain Advantage Plus campaigns, cloning them into Advantage Plus campaigns in different Facebook accounts, which is quote unquote against the term of service, but it's been working well. And even Facebook's just like, yeah, it's actually a fairly decent way to do it. So they've been seemingly okay with it. But because you can't exclude warm audiences from a pixel in only one advantage plus campaign it goes account wide we've been making multiple accounts to do this so similar to how you would have a youtube audience instead of google and then our youtube remarketing with everyone excluded out of your youtube proactive campaigns in facebook we take an advantage plus campaign of advantage plus shopping advantage plus video advantage plus imagery and then excluding warm audiences off the pixel and excluding the traffic of the existing customers that is your pure cold advantage plus account and then you make a, another account with advantage plus with excluded audiences the excluded audiences are your existing customers but you do include the pixel so that's is your remarketing and what you're doing is you're actually keeping a 2.2 2.5 frequency on cold and a 2.2 2.5 frequency on warm that I was also scooping up the cold that the first account missed. And now you're making sure that the spends between those are only measured by your mer. If you push more cold, can you push more warm? And does your mer hold? That is now scaling that. And then on top of that, you get your Pmax campaigns in your brand and then your cold traffic channels inside of Google. And all those working synonymously together gives you a very highly segmentable, controllable, scalable with mer holding essentially miniature funnel between those two channels. Separate out of ca- customs, I think getting a brain freeze on right now. I'm just thinking about our yeah. listener. Like, there's no way all this is, you know. I, this is deep. Yeah. This is deep. It's like, you know, we've said it before. One question on the new ad accounts, same pixel or pixels from each individual ad account? So you can separate them out. Under 100 grand a month, same pixel. Actually, yes. Yeah. So under 100 grand a month in ad spend, same pixel. Yep. Now, your cold traffic accounts are going to look horrifying. Really, really bad. Your CPA is going to be ridiculous. Your ROA is going to be ridiculous and it's going to look terrible. What you want to do is look at the SKUs or look at the pages that you're sending that traffic to and measure the total CPMs and your conversion rate of that page at the back end of your Shopify because if those are holding, you're fine. So that's what you want to measure is not necessarily in-app CPA and in-app ROAS, but you want to measure CPMs or CPCs, conversion rates. That is what you're going to reverse engineer the global of those two accounts based on your CAC. Cosm's nodding his head. I think he understands everything you just said. I, dude, I get it. <laughs> it's just think about any business that's trying to follow along and the number of global changes we've catalyzed here, just to refresh. You just need to start over. Everybody today just needs to stop with start all over. the things that you're Join doing. Join the revolution. Yeah. Join the revolution. Yeah. Join the revolution. That's exactly right. Dude, that's the new tagline for perpetual traffic. Perpetual traffic. Join the revolution. <laughs> I think so. And, you know, we're all about the whole and not the silos. I don't know. We'll have to figure out our tagline there. I would say this. If you're listening to this show and you're a little bit lost in the weeds, I would send this episode to the people that are doing this day in and day out and then have them produce a summary for you of all the things that they're going to start doing, changes that are recommended by John Moran. And I would say that would probably be like my first step as an administrator or a a C-level person is definitely do that. All right, John Moran, that is an amazing episode. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the host of Professional Traffic, but like if you've listened to what you're actually saying, and the problem is that a lot of CEOs, CMOs, even people that are in the weeds that are doing this stuff day in and day out, I think you've shed some pretty incredible light on 
a lot of those problems and looking at ways in which to minimize your ad spend, but also maximize your effectiveness as a marketer. So thank you so much for coming on here today. We will certainly have you back. That's for damn sure, because we didn't even get through the list. There's like nine or 10 more things we wanted to get to. But anyway, we'll leave that for other episodes. Obviously, where people can find you over at Solutions Aid, if people want to connect with you individually, how do they go about doing that, John? Yeah, LinkedIn is probably the best for me. Either LinkedIn or right through the Solutions Aid website. Either one is perfect for me. Awesome. Appreciate it. And make sure that wherever you're listening, you leave a rating for this show. You know, I don't know. I think we're like stepping up our game here, Kasim. It's not because of me and you. It's because of the smart guests that we're having here, which is always nice. Let us know what we can do better over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. You can follow me over on LinkedIn as well as Kasim on Twitter at Kasim Aslam. Go back and listen to previous episodes. We'll leave links in the show notes for all the episodes that John has been on here. This is like your fourth or fifth time on the show, which is pretty amazing. So if you want to learn more about how Tier 11 makes PPC spend more efficient using conversion architecture, head on over to the Tier 11 blog at tier11.com slash blog. Check out our YouTube channel over at the Perpetual Traffic YouTube channel. It's not the Perpetual Traffic podcast. We will leave a link to that. It's the one with... Kasim and myself, smiling faces, smiling back at you on YouTube. And all resources and show notes are over at perpetualtraffic.com. So on behalf of my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic, 